Hello, and welcome to Tech, the Olympus NDT podcast. My name is Emily Peloquin, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. This podcast is all about NDT and about the incredible people that work in our industry. I've been in this industry for just over a decade now, and I'm still amazed by the incredible people that I get to work with and how tightly connected this community is. On this show, have the chance to welcome experts from the field to chat about everything and anything, from challenging applications to new trends and even tips and tricks on how to improve your NDT game. I hope you'll enjoy the unique insight that our guests are sharing with us and that it will inspire others to also want to help in making this world a safer place. In today's episode, I'm having a very interesting conversation about high-temperature UT applications with Dr. Tim Stevenson from Ionix. Tim is sharing with us the different applications where high-temperature sensors can be used. He also explained some of the misconceptions about the high-temperature inspection in the field, as well as where is the future of the high-temp maybe going. I hope you'll enjoy and learn from this conversation as much as I did. Tim, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. So the the very first question, and I know you're a listener, so you know what's <laughs> the first question, but uh, uh, I would like to ask you, how did you stumble across NDE? What, what's your story behind NDE? Yeah, so uh, everyone, everyone has a different path. Um, yeah. I actually started, um, I did material science and engineering as a degree at college or, or university. Okay. Um, which led to a PhD and specifically in piezoelectric materials. So these are materials that you'd find in the heart of sort of an ultrasonic transducer. You apply a, a strain and generate a voltage, or you apply a voltage and generate uh, a strain. But my PhD was specifically specifically about developing and characterizing uh, piezo materials for extreme environments, which includes mm-hmm. high temperatures. Uh, and those kind of materials are like PZT, uh, which you may have heard of. Um, yeah. And that's that's really where I sort of got into um, ultrasound th- through those kind of materials, really. So I did part of that PhD uh, project at the University of Illinois, spent some time at State College, and um, oh. that's where I was really introduced to those materials in things like sonar, um, not particularly high temperature, <laughs> but, you know, u- ultrasonics, I guess, as a, as a general theme. Um, so then the outcome of my PhD was developing a material, which like PZT, um, we call HBZ uh, or HPZ. For, and we're for, able to, uh, uh, high performance high, piezo. Okay. Ah, okay. <laughs> we have to have a three letter acronym in the Oh, there's the always acronyms, game. you know it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that we were able to show um, the same sensitivity as PZT, um, but it's very tough and it was radiation resilient. We could operate at very low temperature, we could operate at very high temperature. Um, and that kind of opened a lot of interesting and wide-ranging applications in sensing and actuation and, of course, transducers. Uh, and that's where uh, myself and my supervisor started uh, the company Ionix uh, to commercialise mat- the material. Uh, and we quickly got into talking to refinery operators, power plants, and they were asking, you know, could you put this into a probe, mount it on a pressure vessel or a pipe circuit? Mm-hmm. and then leave it there exposed to those kind of extreme environments either high see. temperature or you know explosive gases um even there for long periods of time 
permanently installed and do on-stream monitoring. Um, and that's where I set about trying to learn ultrasonics, um, specifically about NDT, and developed a range of bonding methods and materials and acoustic stacks that we could use to operate at those temperatures. So typically up to about 1,000 Fahrenheit. Um, we developed that platform, which we call HotSense, and then I spent the last 10 years really trying to put that into different formats with the, with the team. So primarily corrosion monitoring we do for downstream applications, gas void mon monitoring in nuclear applications, level sensing in aerospace, gas and liquid flow metering, process control, lots of those kind of applications where conventional sensors or conventional pitot materials can't operate or you don't want people to access or, or operate in those dangerous conditions. Right, um, right, right. But quickly, you, know, you can see how we got into process control um, leading into things like asset integrity. Mm -hmm. So not only do we want to know how thick this pipe is to know how corrosive the material is inside, but also you know, how long is my pipe going to last? So yeah. that's where in the last perhaps few years, um, we've had the inspection service companies asking us, can't you put this technology into a UT probe? How can we do on-stream inspections, particularly with the pandemic? Um, you know, less people being ab ab available to go on site. Um, oh, how that's can we interesting, get, yeah. Yeah, how can we sort of couple the monitoring, but also with, with on-stream UT, so that we don't have to wait for a shutdown and get all these people on board. We can, we can do it over time uh, while the refinery is operating, for example. So the, the sensors that you're referring to for, for those um, applications would be sensors that are remaining on the component, correct? Yep, so we, uh, there that was where we started primarily. Okay. Um, so we'd call them permanently installed or condition monitoring yeah. sensors. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But you know, we quickly got into that asset integrity area where taking a deeper dive into NDT, um, I guess a, a mentor in that space, uh, Guy Stuart Kenny, he, he really helped to push us in the right direction to explain how NDT worked. Mm. It's got to be proceduralized, all the good stuff that makes it, you know, the community that we're in. Right, uh, yeah, because you can, you know, if, even if you know about, uh, you know, those those materials, it's really how how about um, how it's used uh, out there that you need to, to know. And uh, and that's the the learning curve, I guess, you know, from uh, exactly. outsider at first perspective, you know. Yeah, there's no point showing everyone you can do it. It's got to be, yeah. it's got to fit the, the application and the the procedural space, you know, particularly with NDT, it's a very, um, it's very controlled uh, yeah. market, I guess. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's safety at the end of the day that we're trying to uh, improve or, or do it for. Um, but yeah, so we, we kind of learned those things, um, how to proceduralize it, how to take it forward, you know, how to get it to be compatible with different pieces of equipment. And that's where we started to develop sort of conventional uh, UT probes for corrosion or time of flight diffraction probes for, mm -hmm. for weld inspections. Um, I'm really starting to work with the industry leaders to make them compatible with scanners or robots, um, trying to make them compatible with things like the, the UT sets, the floor detectors, the thickness gauges. Um, so that it makes it really easy for a inspector to take one of these tools, use their existing equipment, and then operate that all at high temperature, um, you know, safely and, and get good measurements, good data, because that's the, the key. Um, and all trying to do that without the need for shutdown or isolation of those components and really drive this kind of uh, this digital agenda. So making data based decisions for asset integrity, planning better maintenance, all those good things. And 
and I guess where high temperature fits in a broader scheme is is that the kind of digitalization revolution um, mm-hmm. and that's that's the goal I guess yeah so so you've been really thrown in the midst of it all <laughs> really yeah, quickly yeah. you know no um yeah, you know, really into the deep of uh, NDT as soon as you, um, as soon as you started your career, really. So that's uh, that that's that's rare and that's great. <laughs> that's really yeah. good that you were able to be. I mean, State College too is probably the, I can say like the 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 hub for everything that has to do with with sensors. It seems like. Yeah, and and particularly for the PZT materials. I mean, that's what I always knew it for. But you mm-hmm. can see that's that's probably where a lot of the the sensor technology comes from. They're, yeah. they're all integrated, so yeah, there's something in yeah. the water over there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, you mentioned a few a few applications or a, a, actually a few industries. But what would be you know other common uh, high temp inspections if we focus only on high temp? Um, and what's what's the main challenges there that uh, you have to try to solve for? Yeah, okay. So probably the most common high temperature inspections that we're asked to to look at or, or deliver equipment for is uh, downstream oil and gas. Mm-hmm. So refining, yeah. um, petrochem, that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think it was uh, Dave Bajula pointed out in one of the previous episodes that oil and gas is where the most varied damage, mecha- me- damage mechanisms are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a tough and, environment altogether. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and has the most critical components, right? Yes. So, um, and the temperature ranges there can go from ambient all the way up to a thousand Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. Um, so where we kind of see is that it's a split between high and low temperature around four hundred F, which is a broadly two hundred centigrade. If I'm doing math on the fly, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> so below that temperature. The damage is, is broadly water-based, so this presence of water causes microbial corrosion, etc. I see. Okay. Um, or you know, wet H two S. Yep. Then, but above that, it's, it's slightly different. So we have things like sulfidation, um, oxidation, um, where the water isn't Anything, present, yeah. And, and the yeah, and the damage mechanisms come from right. a, from a different uh, different physics or different chemistry. Mm-hmm. So the most common high temperature inspections are probably. So simple wall thickness measurements for corrosion, yep. mainly from, from sulfidation. Uh, sulfidation is the most ubiquitous damage mechanism in any crude oil processing plant because the sulfur is already in there and you're heating it up with iron <laughs> um, above 400 Fahrenheit and, and so you get that reaction. Um, and, and the thing about sulfidation is it's uniform wall loss. So the consequences of not picking it up is, is you know, loss of containment uh, in as you know, rupturing rather than leaks, so we see operators are very keen to monitor sulfidation um, mm-hmm. and very keen to do that while it's on stream. Right, um, they don't want to stop it, and that that's why it's high temp, right? It's just because they can't, they don't want to stop the the process. Um, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. So you want to maximize your production and and the lifetime, uh, but also do it safely. So. There's always that balance of, of doing right. it on stream and getting that data versus shutting it down, but you know, right. that comes at a cost. Very interesting. Uh, you mentioned also in aerospace, so where, where, where would that be? What would be the applications in aerospace? Yeah, so we do a lot of um, a lot of things with aerospace, not necessarily all NDT. It could be things okay. like level sensing, um, 
Oh, but we, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so you know, level sensing of kerosene in, in various parts of an engine. Um, but we've done a few projects, you know, looking at um, smart coatings that we can put on things like turbine blades so that the sensor's already in the engine. It, it's not something we have to go in through a, a boroscope port and, and measure it or try and put tools in. The idea is the sensor's already in there. So that's really building on the the idea of installed sensors again. Um, so you know, making smart surfaces um, and being able to survive the high temperature of the operation, um, but also surviving the high temperature of the manufacturing process. That, that's another key area for us. It's not everything we do is, is hot, but some of the processes to manufacture the, the thing um, might be, mm. uh, you know, have a high temperature process. Like what, can you name a few applications that comes to mind? So just things like metallization. How do we stick uh, these piezo-ceramics to things Mm-hmm. Um, often they're, they're metal, um, the things you want to stick them to. So we can do that process, you know, effectively brazing the ceramic to a metal. That's a high temperature process. But then you have a very strong bond, very high acoustic coupling uh, scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can use that, that application in any temperature range. So what we find is we, particularly in ultrasonics, we get very good sensitivity from those kind of methods. Um, and that is a... That's an application in itself, people wanting very high signal-to-noise, um, ultrasonic measurements may choose to use some of that technology just because it can survive that process to, to manufacture it. Right, right, okay. And so, um, yeah, another question I had for you, you know, because you're not only working really in the NDT world, as you were just mentioning, sometimes it's, man- well, manufacturing or in, in place where it's not necessarily uh, uh, considered NDT but yeah. within within NDT within our industry what do you think is the the biggest misconception uh, when it comes to high temperature UT inspection you know what what have you found that most people are you know either already assuming or th- we, we get it wrong or uh, or we think that it cannot be done when it can be done what's the the biggest misconception you you see out there yeah so that it's, it's a good one. It's, a, it's the daily battle. Um, <laughs> people often think it can't be done either reliably, safely, or they can't achieve the accuracy that they need. And actually, you could probably split that. those three of the most common responses, depending on where you are in the world. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Asia, for example, they're very quick to adopt new technology and implement it. Interesting. Um, but they want us to show its accuracy, its, its POD, etc., and how it conforms to the requirements. Um, and then they want educa- yeah, education. They want to educate. Uh, they want us to educate them on how to uh, adapt their procedures. How to how how can we implement this technology? The very technology forward. Mm, um, I, I want to get the most out of it. Um, in Europe, it's perhaps more uh, trying to overcome concerns around safety. Okay. So things like we're using high temperature couplants. Um, we still see people pouring peanut oil or greases, <laughs> yeah. um, whatever you can find uh, on a pipe as a couplant. Um, obviously, that leaves and residues. So, just to be clear, yeah. good practice, bad practice, yeah, but bad practice, <laughs> bad very, practice. Very okay. bad practice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we see uh, it so much. We see it so much that yeah, yeah you, you know, I, I wasn't sure if that was legit or not because um, that's yeah, that's something that is heavily done. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it leaves residues that are often then you can't get ultrasound through. They can be toxic or they can even be corrosive or, or flammable. And, and then oh, you're I kind see. of defeating the point of 
of doing your corrosion inspection if you're then putting stuff on it to corrode it. Right, yeah, it's not NDT um, if you're destructing. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's not uh, non-destructive anymore, yeah, yeah. So so there we have to really show how risk can be minimised, um, showing that with the tools, you know, we because we can leave our ultrasonic transducers on the assets without duty cycling, it gives the inspectors more time to actually do their inspection safely. Yeah. We see so many people trying to rush through because you know, they've got a, only a limited time they can take a measurement or you know, the, there's coupling all in their face and or it's smoking because they've used peanut oil or something. Right, um, right. And, and that really is where it feeds into the, the kind of the ro- remotely operated scanners or robotics. So we're trying to show people that you can still do this safely. You don't have to have a person there. Um, the person can still operate the ROV, still has to interpret the data, but we don't, you know, we can do all of this stuff without having to put people at risk. Um, and of course, then there's, you know, there's commercially available high temperature couplants and, and all that, that out there, but that's usually a hard sell because they've all heard the horror stories and then they want you to Which tell are? them Which are? Well, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's a few that are probably not allowed to name. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, we don't want names. <laughs> But but um, yeah, some yeah. some uh, some NDT go bad. There's lots of examples where p- people use it in inappropriate couplants, and then that kind of puts the operator sees that you know, that's gone wrong, and then you have to overcome that. That's another hurdle you have to overcome when you're trying to reintroduce the idea of, of doing it on stream. Right, right, but, okay, but, okay. So still then, related to to coupling yeah, and right. Yeah, mainly that that's the. The, the big, you know, the big health and safety hurdles we see is, is coupling and and the operator being so close. But right. then in the the US, perhaps is is another different story. Okay. There's lots of focus on proceduralization. Yeah. Um, to get repeatability. So in that case, we you know need to work with the guys to, to create a procedure, um, and that's quite hard to change. So mm. we're always trying to make the tools try and fit an existing procedure or existing way of working. And try to keep that change to a minimum, um, and then we have to show that you can achieve that repeatability each time. So there's, there's a couple of different facets there that we we work on quite quite a lot <laughs> uh, right. to try and try and show people this is a you know a viable method, and and we get get good traction with the owner operators. You know we frequently have phone calls where, particularly with the pandemic and and, and everything else in the world, there just isn't enough time. Um, yeah. Or resource to to NDT everything. Right. So right. how do you select the things that are most critical to check? Um, and what we're trying to offer is ways of of navigating that. So we could use some monitoring to look at things that are perhaps less critical, focus the resource on areas that are more critical. We could use the high temperature tools to look at areas and say, okay, this this will survive another. Now the shutdown, we don't need to worry about this part, but over here, this is where we should you know, do an outage and, and really get into it. Um, so it's all about intelligence and, and making better decisions, I think, um, rather than just saying, look, we're going to do this at high temp because it's there. Yeah. Yeah. And again, just it's just the, the fact that uh, they don't have to stop for a long time is also, as you mentioned, in, in, in these times, um, probably a very big pros for those um, asset owners um, don't have to slow down and even on manufacturing side even not um, necessarily uh, oil and gas uh, components but um, or downstream but for manufacturing when there's um, a lot of welding you know being done 
Yeah. Uh, I know that, you know, one thing I know about high temp is like that that's often the, the request that we get is, you know, uh, once I'm welding the component, I want to be inspecting right away, you know, looking at the weld right away um, in, instead or even in between passes. Um, so is that uh, is that also something that uh, that you address? Because we've been talking a lot about UT thickness, but how about for for welds and, um, you know, manufacturing uh, yeah. of components? Yeah, so that's that is a, a big area of activity. So we're working on a few projects in both in the UK and the US, um, uh, and I think Canada, where everyone has the, the same idea, which is you know, let's if we're going to weld this part, can we do the NDT while it's being welded? Mm -hmm. um, same there's time. some good examples. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So well, yeah. there's some good examples out there already. I think uh, we've shown that that can be done. Um, uh, you know, others in their their programs are showing that as well. Um, so you know, we have a range of, for example, time of flight diffraction tools, which will uh, work at high temperature, and we can actually sit those probes um, just behind the the welding arc, and, and measure that uh, that weld directly as it's cooling down um, as, as, as it's done a pass. Wow, um, that's very cool. How how uh, hot does it get? Like, what's the well, the, the temperature the, resistance for those? It's uh, incredibly hot at the the weld pool, if you like. Yeah. But but it does cool down quite rapidly um, away from that. Okay. Um, so we're at about three twenty centigrade um, okay. where where the probes are sat. Wow. So, but yeah, that there's there's work to be done there. That the moment there's no standards for saying, you know, how do we go back and if there is a, a defect spotted, you know, can you go back and reweld it? Yeah. That there's that. that still needs to be developed and, and things like how do you put coupling ar around a weld um, so there's there's some groups out there looking at using high temperature wheel probes and, and we're supporting some of that with the sensors inside that so it's, it's all sort to play for <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it's just it's just time question of time yeah oh yeah I, yeah I know I mean innovation in general I mean we're there's so many needs uh, but it's uh it's always a question of time to yeah. be able to to come up with those uh, solutions and make them work properly. So we talked a lot about you know hardware, the the sensors themselves. Um, of course, you know the I'm sure the cable has to be high temp and so on. But um, how about the the software component of this? Because you know it needs to be taken in consideration as well. Where when we're doing high temp, um, often the the velocity of the material is changing, uh, right? So, and, and attenuation, I believe, as well. Um, so, how is that uh, addressed? You know, typically, is that something that you um, that you consider uh, at all when when working with clients? Yeah, that's a great question because this goes back to the the principal challenges of of UT. <laughs> mm -hmm, so. Yeah. Um, so I guess what we spend a lot of time doing is trying to educate the users on on those aspects directly, because everybody knows you need to know the velocity to make my time of flight measurement equal thickness or distance. You know, and that's the the basis, I guess, for for a lot of the UT techniques. Yeah. But principally, the velocity of the material uh, attenuation changes with temperature. So. Okay. With the velocity, um, obviously, fundamentally affects the calculation of time of flight. And in steel, mm -hmm. we see velocity decrease with increasing temperature. 
And the most common thing we hear is, you know, well, we just do 1% per 55 degrees or 100F, and that's my compensation um, from an ASTM standard. But that actually covers quite a wide range of steels, you know, as it, as it describes, and it's quite yeah. conservative. So you can quickly run into a position where you're probably overcompensating. Um, in Europe, there's lots of use of the ISO standards, which, which talk about this 0.8 meters per second per second per, uh, sorry, meters per second per Celsius. Okay. So that's oh, okay. really talking about changing the velocity with the temperature rather than the eventual thickness. So and it's a value that you would adjust when, depending on the temperature of your component, but that's for zero degree, I'm assuming? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For okay. compression wave, um, that's what they're talking about, and specifically to carbon steel. So we're starting to narrow it down a right. bit more. Right, um, right. But we've spent some time measuring the velocity of different steel grades to show that we can really take that compensation to, to quite high accuracy mm -hmm. um, where it's needed, or, or at least show the principle um, and offer those kind of numbers that you could then plug into your UT set or a gauge for, you know, for those simple measurements where you just need to change the velocity. Um, and, you know, or the time of flight diffraction, how does that impact the angle change? How does that impact the beam spread? Yeah. So all those things we spend a lot of time measuring uh, and we help help our clients by supplying that information so they can use their existing tools and, and plug it in there. So that's, uh, yeah, that, that, that's what definitely one part of it. And I think what will come, uh, we're already starting to see it um, in in some of the manufacturers of the UT tools mm -hmm. is they're starting to put temperature compensation um, and, and different different ways of inputting the configurations to to offset those those changes that occur with temperature. Um, there's also things you've got to consider that it's not just the material like the, the probe itself. So um, most people will be familiar, I guess, with zeroing a, a dual element probe on, yeah. the, on a gauge. Right, um, right. We still have to do that and and it will change with temperature i guess what we're trying to show is the advantages by not having to duty cycle it you, you only have to do that once yeah um, and then you just have to change your velocity so we're, we're really trying to put these tools in people's hands in a way that it's it's not a big it's not a big change you don't have to invest super heavily in in you know learning the physics of it or, or in right, new right, tools right. it's it's just about understanding that the these things change this is how they change this is how we compensate for it right yeah and that's yeah it's one thing for for zero degree is probably a bit more straightforward no pun intended yeah <laughs> but uh, but then when we when we start looking at uh angle beam again or phased array angle beam um i know that there's such a thing also at the as the wedge gradients you know like just within the wedge yeah the velocity changing right yeah so um I guess con conventionally, or, or what we hear most about is things like cooled wedges, um, yeah. or that you know you're duty cycling the wedges. So the temperature is never isothermal; it's always going to have a gradient. It's always going to be changing, and, and you have to constantly be aware of that to get accurate measurements. I think with our technology, what we're showing is actually we just heat the whole thing up so it's one temperature. Um, we're not trying to separate. The crystal away from the heat um if, if that makes sense so yeah we can yeah. really afford to heat that whole wedge up get it hot get it all the same temperature and then it becomes much easier to think about how the beam's traveling i see i see 
yeah, if you're not too afraid of that heat, and then you can just, <laughs> you know, kind of <laughs> roll with it, and and uh, uh, yeah, then it becomes easier to um, almost embrace it, and then you can deal with the the consequences of it instead of yeah, constantly yeah. trying to uh, to yeah, counter we, it. Yeah, and we have to manage, I guess, people's expectations. It's we are heating the steel up. That well, sorry, we're not. The, the steel is already hot. <laughs> right. Um, and we can't change the physics of that. Um, so things like its velocity being low when it's hot will mean that um, you know, the wavelength of the sound is going to scatter more. So we will need to use more gain, or we might have to use a, a lower frequency a little earlier than um, than you might do for, for a thicker part. It, it's, it's about managing people's expectations. Right, We're not right. going to walk up with a 15 megahertz probe and get the same result <laughs> at you know, a thousand Fahrenheit, then you would get an ambient temperature. So that's that's kind of the the game there. Really, is is is, is making the best um, you know, pairing of, of the tools to the to the application. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, it's just a, a different beast and a different way to look at it. And and just um, you know, even if you you know your UT, it's just a, another level and uh, to. Yeah. Yeah, to change the mindset just a little bit uh, to uh, to do high temp. That's that's really interesting. What, what do you think the the future of high temp is? You know, where where would uh, this uh, industry, where our industry should look next? You think? Yeah, this is the bit I think is the interesting part. Um, it, you know, really, it's um, I think coming back to where we started is it's all about mm-hmm. the data. So yeah. we're not doing high high temp UT just because we can it's um you know or, or it's a niche niche within a niche we're, we're yes. developing these tools to collect data to inform decisions on remaining life of assets or you know asset integrity but we're also seeing that becoming data that's helping operators to use that data to determine you know where damage mechanisms are occurring in real time and, mm-hmm. and we're always trying to link it back to different process conditions so yeah, as I said at the top, we're doing some high temperature UT tools, but that's not our whole business. We're doing other things like process control monitoring. So if we can start to map the flow, the corrosivity, you know, monitor a crack and corrosion, and you start to pull that together, you suddenly got some very powerful tools to start predicting where things are going to happen, how to change your process to minimize, say, corrosion or to extend life. Um, and that's all happening in real time. And you can see the kind of the big themes of, of NDT being robotics and digitalization. That's where I think it really fits fits those areas because um, we're, we're trying to do inspections in, in environments that we couldn't do previously. And, and mm-hmm. that's while stuff's operating and that's where all the damage is happening. Right, right. And to catch it as early as possible is always, always the goal, obviously. Exactly. Um, or or even mitigate it by changing your process. I mean, it'd be even better if we could have no corrosion. That's I appreciate right. that's yeah. that's a big stretch. <laughs> they get um, to learn but, on the operating of the equipment as well. Um of their equipment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So and there's some good examples where I think that's really starting to take off and, and not just with us, there's there's lots of of people playing this game now so you know take the example of corrosion we will take a corrosion map with the the ut tools um, using a scanner get the asset integrity data that we need to 
um, do a fitness for service assessment, for example, but it'll also then inform us where's the best place to put a permanent sensor, yeah. get some high precision measurements so we can then inform the plant operators how to minimise the corrosion or reduce the corrosion by changing some of their processes to be more efficient um, and ultimately you know, be more safe. It, it's not replacing NDT, but I think all of this is starting to really build a case to um, you know, ha- have NDT and the process controls much, much more linked. Um, yeah, it, it complements it, you know. And, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's very, very interesting. Well, Tim, thank you so much. I've, I've learned a ton today. Uh, <laughs> I'm, it's a very interesting application, and I'm sure that people will start and, and, and try to, to go there. As we mentioned, you know, the, the world is changing, the industry is changing, and uh, I think we'll, we'll see this more and more going forward. So thank you again for taking the time, and uh, hope we'll be in touch again soon. Yeah, well, thank you very much for having me. It's, been, uh, it's great to talk about something that I've uh, enjoyed doing for so long. <laughs> thank you again. All right, thank you. That's it for today's show. A very big thank you to Tim for sharing his knowledge and continuing to look into new technologies for the future. I hope you too learned a thing or two about high temperature UT inspection today. On a separate note, we will have a big announcement coming your way on our next episode of InspectTech. So make sure to stay tuned and sign up for our emailer so you don't miss it. In the meantime, thank you for listening and for whatever you are doing and contributing to keep our surroundings safe. Bye for now.